Hi. I'm glad you're here. Um, we're zooming toward uh, Pesach. And, um, and uh, many years, uh, including this year, we, we talk about the, uh, the laws of purifying speech before, um, before Pesach comes. Uh, uh, and we have these um, portions of the Torah, uh, Tazriya, Mitzorah, <clears throat> and we're trying to, uh, you know, we, we always know that whatever is going on in the Torah is going on in the world. And the way Rabbi Wolfson put it so poetically, so beautifully, was that, that God takes the letters of the weekly Torah portion and weaves the fabric of reality that we're in out of them. So if you want to know, like, what's going on in the world at any given moment, you look at what's going on in the Torah. So that's, that's uh, and so the cycle of the Torah is correlating very, very deeply with the events of our lives. Um, so, you know, I, I'll tell you just uh, one example. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, a number of years ago, there was a, a, a big news story. Uh, it was all about mad cow disease. Do you remember mad cow? Mm-hmm. So this was like, I think maybe because those words, mad cow disease, <laughs> like that's like, somehow that was like one of these, you know... I, I just heard this phrase uh, recently, earworms, you know what I mean? It sort of like burrows its way into your brain and it's sort of like, can't let go of it. So, so they, they realized um, mad cow disease came from that they were actually feeding cows other parts of cows, right? So it was, it was really, it was really uh, you know, kind of crazy. So, but that was part of, the, that was part of the, 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 just the feed they were giving them. Um, anyway, so someone asked me, where do you see mad cow disease in, in the Torah portion of the week, right? And I thought about it, and that week it was about um, the dreams uh, that Joseph, Yosef Atzadik were having. And what was, what was his dream? That the thin cows swallow, they eat the fat cows, mm. So there, there it was, you know, something that you would never imagine to be right there was right there. So just one, one tiny example of this, but, but the examples are, are, are infinite, literally. Um, so therefore, there's a um, connection between uh, Pesach, which is um, the redemption of the world. That's the, what we call the Geula. Geula is a very interesting word. Geula and galos. Geula means redemption. Galos means exile. It's spelled the same way, the same letters. Only the word geula, which means redemption, has the letter aleph in it. So in other words, it's two sides of the same coin. Exile and redemption are just a a hair apart. What's missing is the letter aleph. And of course, aleph stands for God. So, So in other words, in other words, Exile, God is here, but he's hidden. Geula, you just, God's presence becomes revealed. So, so, um, and remember, just one of the deepest things I ever heard from Reb Labela Eger, he defines exile. What is exile? Exile is thinking that just because today was like yesterday, we think tomorrow is going to be like today. Say that again. Just because today was like yesterday, we think that tomorrow is going to be like today. But tomorrow is, is unfettered from today. It's, 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 it's unchained from today. And we have to, 
we have to allow ourselves to experience the fact of just how unstuck we actually are. You know, we, we, um, we do ourselves a tremendous disservice. And this is why uh, my rabbi in Israel, you know, told me many years ago that all of life is about making good habits. You know, if you can, if you can just accustom yourself to, to, to do the right things, and then what seems out of reach for you right now, then eventually, if you keep out of it, keep at it, um, or keep out of it, um, becomes your new normal. And then from your new normal, then you scale further heights. I mean, I can tell you that I, you know, my wife calls me the, the world's laziest workaholic. <laughs> and it's like, it's like I, I can't tell you how lazy I am. It really, it's, 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 it's depressing. And yet, right now, I, I get up at 20 to 6 in the morning in order to go to, like, this early minion. Now, for me to even go, you don't understand. Like, if you get to know me at all, it's like, what's this guy doing any of this stuff? <laughs> it's like, much less getting up at 5.40 in the morning when it's dark out to go to minion. I mean, I, that, I'm still shocked that that's me. But, and it didn't happen overnight. But... I tried, and that became the new normal, and then I tried again, and that became the new normal, and I tried again, and that became the new normal. And this is, this is life. This is how life progresses. And we go from level to level. This is, this is what you want. Now, but the thing is, is that as you proceed in terms of climbing spiritually, you have to make real changes. That's why it's so important for um, one steps when you um, try to elevate yourself spiritually to be small, right? That's why we want small steps, but the small steps are concrete steps, right? That's why, um, you know, they, they, they talk about, and there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of depth to this, but I'm not going to get into all the mechanics of it, that when Yom Kippur comes around to make one change, but that one change has to be something that you're 1,000% going to do, and, 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 and so you have to find something that's small enough that you're going to do it. And if, it, it takes a while to think of something because almost everything that you'll think, well, I'll start doing that, too big. Or even way too big. Really small. So just to give you an example, a couple of years ago, what I, what I took on was when you wash your hands, you're supposed to pick up the washing cup with your right hand and then pass it to your left hand and then you wash your right hand first. So there's this like switch. You pick it up with your right hand, then you pass it to your left hand, and then you begin the washing process, right? So I took on that I'm going to pick it up with my right hand and pass it to my left hand. So that was it. That was my, that was my resolution for change. And I, thank God I've been, I've been with it. And then, and then uh, last year, you know, it, it was sort of like, it was Hoshana Rabba night. We were up all night learning, and I... We, I hadn't come to my resolution, my, my tiny resolution, but real resolution. And it was sort of like, you know, we were thinking and I was with a group of people and it was sort of like, what's, how about that? No, too big. How about that? No, 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 too big. And everyone was coming up with different things. No, 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 too big. So finally, what I was able to come up with is that when I put on my jacket, I'm going to put my right hand in first. Not, don't start with my left hand. I'm going to put my right hand in first. 
So I've been able to do that. So, but but the, the, the point is, is that little concrete changes then give you a beachhead because um, success breeds success. That, that, that's what it is. Success breeds success. And then this way we're able to positively reinforce each other. So I want to talk about some of these, again, this connection between why we're talking about the, the laws of purific, purifying our speech and the connection with that and Pesach. Because the connection is very, very deep. It's very profound. Um, now, maybe we should just jump in there. Okay. So, so the idea is like this. You see, there are two opinions in the Torah. We're so used to the first opinion that we don't really have a chance to kind of dwell and live with the second opinion. The first opinion that we all know is that God created the world um, and God bless you. And by the world, I mean human beings on Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, uh, the first of the month of Tishrei, also better known as Rosh Hashanah. Um, so remember, that's the sixth day of creation, right? That's the creation of human beings. Actually, that would mean that creation was the first day of creation was the 25th of Elul, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but, but that aside, there's another opinion, which is that God actually created the world on the first day of Nisan. Because Nisan is the first month of the year, and Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the first month of the year, that's when creation started. And so that's a whole another way of learning, and that's a very uh, that's a very esteemed opinion in Torah. And and the difference is is that they say one was in thought, one was in action. Okay, it starts to get deeper than what I can say comfortably right now, just in terms of my own level of understanding. <laughs> but those are the parameters of it anyway. But anyway, the idea that, that the first of Nisan was also a beginning and a creation of the whole world is a very real thing, whether that's in thought or in action, whatever it is, that was the creation of the world too. And remember, that's the day that we dedicated the Mishkan. The Mishkan was the tabernacle in the desert, which was a microcosm of the universe itself. So it makes sense that on the, on the day that the world itself, the universe itself was created, it's also the time that we also made this, this miniature that we could access. Um, okay, so now let's get into it some more. So Nisan, this month that, it, that, that this occurred in, Nisan, the, the sages have another debate. And it's, 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 it's um, believe me, it's, it's, it's part of the same debate. This debate is, when is Mashiach going to come? Right now, now we know that Mashiach can come. Now is a good answer. Now is the right answer, actually. Because it does say that in the Gemara. It says that it can happen any day. And this is what we're talking about as well, that the future is completely unfettered, unfettered. And we also have to know um, that, that, all the mitzvot, all the merits that we've been doing are cumulative all of all of history. So if you look out the window or you read the newspapers and it seems like the world is in an incredibly chaotic place where the redemption is very, very, very far away, keep in mind that that's not the true actual barometer of this spiritual level of attainment of the world. That, that, the, that the bank account, so to speak, of... of, of, of great things that we've done, positive, amazing things that we've done, has been cumulative throughout the centuries, throughout the millennium, okay? So that's, that's the actual, the true barometer. So, so it could come at any moment, at any moment. Um, but given that, the sages know that, 
but they also engage in the following discussion, which is what month is most ripe for Mashiach? So one opinion is the month of Tishrei. We just said that's the month of Rosh Hashanah, all the holidays, Yom Kippur, and also Sukkot and Hoshana Rabbin, and all the rest. But then there's another opinion, which is it's the month of Nisan, which is the month that we're in right now, which is the first month, which is also the month of creation. They're both months of creation. See, it's very, it's, it's very not coincidental um, that, the, that, the, that the two months that the sages argue is the, the months most ripe for Mashiach are also the months where the world itself was created, either in thought or in deed. And the reason is because of something very, 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 very important. Can't stress this enough, which is that the world is still in the process of being created. The world's not done yet. That's why, remember, when an architect envisions a house, what he envisions is the completed house. He doesn't envision a hammer and some wood and some nails, and he thinks, now what am I going to do with the hammer and the nails and the drywall? He doesn't do that. He imagines a finished house, then it's like, how am I going to get to that place? So, so when God set about to create the world, he he envisioned a perfected world. And that's what we're doing here right now. We're on, we're partners with God in order to realize that vision. That's why we're here. You see, whenever I share this thought with like college students and things like that, I say to them, listen, have you ever been to a bad party? Like every, everyone's been to a bad party. And everyone, you know, you know everyone, everyone experiences a bad party the same way. You walk in the door and you go, I'm at a bad party. You know, right away. You know, it doesn't take any time to realize. You step in and you're like, oh, no one's here. Ah, you know, it's, it's awful. And then you, you check your watch and you're, you're, trying, or you're already doing calculations. How can I get out of here without insulting the host, right? So it's a lot of people, they're born into this world and they think, ah, oh, just my luck, I'm at a bad party. But what, you, what people don't realize is, yeah, no, no, no. It, yes, it's a bad party, but that's, that's why you're here. You're here to make it into a good party. That's the whole point. That's, the whole po- that's why you're here. It's not, oh, bad luck, I'm out of bad... No, you're here in order to make it into a good party. The world's not finished yet. That's why we're here. We're here to do the good things in order to finish the world. That's why we're here. Now imagine, imagine what a, what a privilege that is. You know, like, have you ever wanted to work? There are all sorts of, like, companies that people would think, wow, if I got a job, or if I could work with that person. You know, if you're in finance, right? If I could work with Warren Buffett, wow, what would that mean, you know? Or if you're in, like, you know, if you're in the tech field, wow, if I could get a job at Apple or at Google or something like that. Or if you're in the entertainment industry, you know? If I could, like, work with, like, you know, whoever, Spielberg or James Cameron or, you know, if I could get a job like that. But... Who have you, by virtue of the fact that you're born, you were hired by God <laughs> to be a contractor in this world. I mean, you, and not just you were hired, you know, like, like my, my, my son right now got the new, um, uh, the new Xbox uh, console, right, as a bar mitzvah present. So it's like a big deal. I mean, I think it's a big deal for an adult, but if you're like a kid... It's like a huge deal, you know? 
and he's playing these basketball games. And one of the features on the basketball game is you can create your own player, right? So and you give him a name, and you give him certain skill sets, right? And you can pick what he looks like, and everything like that. And the announcer will say his voice in the play-by-play thing, so you you can become part of the game. So it's not just that God God hired you to be in this world. He also created you. <laughs> can you imagine? It's sort of like, like you've been formed by him and then put in this reality to do this thing. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing act of closeness, you know? This is why, you know, it's just so strange. Like, life doesn't make any sense unless you know these things. Because unless, it, like, why would God bother? Why would God bother to create this entire world <coughs> And then throw all these people in it and then just abandon them and abandon it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that a God who, who's so mindful of detail, imagine just on the subatomic level, right? How much sh- shocking amounts of detail. Shocking amounts of detail. You think that he would make an entire world and a universe and human beings and give them feelings which can be hurt? Like, why do we even have feelings? Like, why not just make us without feelings? Wouldn't that have been a lot easier? No one hurts anybody else's feelings, right? Okay, so you don't have this, so who cares? I don't have any feelings anyway, so it doesn't matter if I don't have this. You know? Or I have this. But, you know, I'm not going to like make other people feel bad that I have this because I don't have any feelings. Wouldn't have that been a wonderfully orderly world? But would God, who is so... Like, think about how beautiful the animals are and how many animals there are. You know, they're, to this day, if you, like, read the Internet, they're discovering new species of animals on a regular basis. You know, people think that, no, 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 we're done. You know, we went to Africa, we found the giraffe, we found the elephant, we're done. You know, look, just Google new frogs found. Like, the frogs are outrageous. They're, like, fluorescent with these weird color combos. I mean, they're amazing. They're amazing. So, we, so God, who, who made the world and whose, whose artistry, right, is so phenomenal and whose sensitivity is so obvious, would he create a human being with feelings just so that he could hurt them? It's, it's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't track. It doesn't track. So, so God is very close. But it's just that we have a job to do. And the job is hard. And, and God is exacting. He is. He is. You know? You know, I grew up in public school in New York City. And, and they, you, you get a poem, right? Everyone gets a poem in third grade. And what's this about? Oh, it's about an elephant. Very good. What's this about? Oh, it's about, you know, George Washington. Very good. And what's this about? Oh, it's, you know, it's about whatever, you know, bubblegum. Very good. Everyone was right. Whatever they said, everyone was right. But that's, that's nice for third grade. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there actually is a, a fairly more rigorous order to what actually makes sense in the universe. And we've made, on a political level, 
something very beautiful, democracy and everything like this, where we want to ex uh, respect everybody's different opinions and all of the rest, and that breeds peace and tolerance, and there are tremendous benefits to that. I'm not, believe me, I'm not speaking against it. There's tremendous benefits to that. But one shouldn't surrender the notion that there's also a concept of truth. Just because we want to get along with each other and acknowledge differences of opinion and everything like that, we shouldn't in that process abandon or surrender the concept that there's actually a truth. Right? So, so again, we're talking about creation, we're talking about purifying speech, we're talking about the connection between what's going on in the Torah and Pesach. All right, so let's, let's get back on track. So, so, again, the idea that the, the two months that the sages say that the, that the redemption of the world, that Mashiach is going to come in, are also, not coincidentally, the two months that they also say that the creation of the world happened in. Why? Why? Because the, the, the arrival of Mashiach is another stage in the creation of the world. Do, do you understand? So it's not a coincidence. Oh, happened to be that the world was created in this month, and I say that Mashiach is also going to come in the same month. No, I say the creation of the world actually happened in this month, and Mashiach is going to come in that same month. No, because Mashiach, redemption, is the final stage of creation. Right? That's, that's, that's the point. Okay. So we have to understand that we're in a process now. So with that in mind, listen to the first Pasuk of Parshish Mitzar that we just read. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, this will be Zos Tihiyeh, Tihiyeh is future tense. Zos, this will be the Torah of the Mitzorah, that's the one who speaks uh, incorrectly. The one who, you want to say, Lashon Hara, but the one whose speech is impure. This will be the Torah of the Mitzorah, the one who speaks impurely on the, on the day, Biyom Taharaso, on the day of his purification. So isn't, isn't that interesting? And we're going to plumb the depths of that a little bit. It's talking about a future process, right? It's in the future tense. This is going to be the day of the purification of the one whose speech still needs to be rectified. Okay, now, let's get deeper, like, right away. It says that God spoke the world into creation. Okay, it says with ten utterances, God spoke the world into creation. Now, God doesn't have a mouth, all right? And as I tell my children, God doesn't have a body, he makes bodies. Right? Whole another level. See, we, we make a mistake. We think that God is a stronger, smarter, more powerful, right, version of ourselves. But just get rid of that thought. <laughs> God is beyond, 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 beyond. And yet in his infinity and in his mercy and in his love, he's right here keeping you and me and our synapses firing and all of reality like just like intact every single moment. So God is, as they say, within, meaning our reality, with, within this dimension of time 
and, and, and all the rest, and yet simultaneously beyond it, both at the same time. Okay, so, so God spoke the world into creation. And as Reb Shlomo says so beautifully, no, God, God sang the world into creation. He sang the world into creation. And I looked for so long for the source for that, and I saw finally in, in one of Rabbi Trugman's books um, uh, a, a teaching from the Tikkun Zohar, which says that if you look at the word breishis, and breishis, of course, is the first word of the Torah, and we know the Torah is the blueprint of, of reality. The very first word, and everything, remember, is microcosms within microcosms. So basically the entire Torah is within the first word of the Torah. So breishis, if you rearrange the letters of breishis, um, which means with beginnings, or in the beginning, as it's more popularly translated as. Um, Breishis spells out the word, if you rearrange the letters, uh, Shiras Olive Base, the song of the olive base. And we know that God created the world with the Hebrew letters. Now, just to explain that point, doesn't mean that God hammered a Vav and a Lamed together and made Pittsburgh, right? It's, it's more than that. The, the, the letters are different energies. And God combined these energies in order to, to make the world. So, so Breshis is Shiras Olive Base, the song of the Olive Base, the song of the Hebrew letters. So you see that, that God sang the world into creation. Okay. Now, again, just, to, just on the word Breshis, I heard from Rabbi Tat something so beautiful, which is that that getting back to this idea that the world itself is, is still in the process of being created, and that's what we're doing here. Rabbi Tatz points out that the word breishis, the very first word of the Torah, tells you this point. Because breishis means in the beginning. Now, if you just use your brain for a moment, the word beginning implies middle and end. Beginning is telling you that there is a process going on right now, that you're in the middle of a process. The very first word of the Torah is telling you that you're in the middle of a process. Okay, so now we know that God spoke the world into creation, or much more deeply put, God sang the world into creation. Okay, so now what does this mean about (coughs) rectifying our speech and bringing us to, to to Pesach, that because we're learning these things now at the time of Pesach, in preparation for Pesach. <clears throat> you see, every time we speak, we bring another level of reality into existence. When you speak, you create reality. Now, let me tell you, that might sound very metaphysical, but it's extremely practical and easy to understand. Let me give you an example. Imagine there's a homeless person in the room, right? And he's just kind of dressed basically in rags. And I come up to you and I whisper, do you see that guy over there? You go, yeah. I say, he's a multi-multi-millionaire. Then I promise you, you're going to treat him differently. My words created a different perception that you have, and you are now going to act on your different perception. 
you now exist in a new reality. Your previous reality was that that was a homeless person. Your new reality is that that person is probably an eccentric genius, right? Who, like, I don't know, some discovered something or invented something, right? And you're going to act differently toward that person. So you see how speech creates perception, and perception impacts reality. You see? So this is why it's so important for us to present our thoughts clearly and nicely. Because if you say that that person's a bum, then you're going to start acting in a different way toward that person. And the people around you are going to act in a different way toward that person. And that's going to create another reality through the power of your speech. So do you see how all of us, all of us, are bringing in new levels of reality, new worlds, literally. I'm not being mystical right now. We're bringing new worlds into existence every single moment, virtually, through our collective speech. So now, given the fact that Nisan, this month that we're in, is not only the beginning of creation, but is arguably the time of Mashiach, and it's the, the holiday of Passover, of Pesach, where God is taking out of Egypt. Remember, Egypt, it says in the Zohar that all future redemptions are based on the redemption from Egypt. So, so getting out of Egypt, which is why we're mentioning it in our prayers constantly, it's hard to find any prayer where if you don't look long enough, there's no mention of Egypt. Egypt is bedrock for us. It's bedrock because that's the... That's the reference point for what's coming. So at this time, when we're really concentrating on the completion of the world and the fulfillment of God's promise, we have to rectify our own speech. See? Now, Rabbi Shlomo said something so beautiful. He said, why do... He says, when someone says something bad about someone else, you know what they're doing? They're trying to take away that person's friends. Which is like, it's heartbreaking. And I'm not saying the person is doing it consciously. I'm not saying the person is doing it consciously. They may not even have any concept of what they're doing. But that's what it means to speak bad about another person. You're telling whoever you're speaking to, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take away all the, that person's friends. So do you know what one of the, the healing aspects, because the, the Mitzorah, the one who, who, who speaks badly and who then gets what's called saras. Saras is translated as leprosy, but they say that's actually an incorrect translation, that, that, that that's just the closest thing that we have. Um, so, so we don't have it anymore. But it was a physical manifestation of a spiritual illness. That, that's what it was. And they say that because we've sort of sunk so precipitously spiritually that we're not even eligible to have this disorder anymore, which is actually a, a very humbling kind of thought, that we're not even eligible for that malady, you know, which is weird. I mean, but anyway, the point is that there's a whole purification process that the Mitsura has to go through, the one who speaks badly. And part of it is that they have to be alone outside of the camp. And Reb Shlomo said something so deep and beautiful. Why is this part of his fixing or her fixing? Because when they're on the outside of the camp all by themselves, 
It's like God is saying to them, you want to take away that person's friends? What does it feel like to be all alone? So a person has to kind of like, kind of experience isolation and loneliness. And then they go, okay, you know something? I, I, I got to do better. Now listen to this beautiful thing. Because this is one of these details that you read in the Torah and up until yesterday, you, 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 I, I would have read right past it and not given it a second thought. But just to give you an example of how some of the more sort of um, ritual, ritualistic and um, arcane sounding details are in the Torah, right? Like, uh, I can't relate to this at all. It's too weird. It's too, like, outdated. But listen to how relevant it actually is. The last stage in the purification process, right, is the Kohen, the priest, and remember the, the priestly class, the Kahanim, are the ones who um, ran the Holy Temple. They ran the Mishkan. So they were sort of like, you know, they were basically, you know, God's, God's administrators, if you will. That's, I wanted to make it more relevant. I think I made it more, uh, <laughs> more horrible. But anyway, the Kahanim, you know what the Kahanim are. So, so a, a Kohen, a Kohen would come and he would take the Mitzorah, and remember this is the last stage of the purification process of someone who spoke badly, who got this, this um, leprosy type disease called Saras. They would take a drop of blood and put it on his earlobe, on his thumb, and on his big toe. Now, again, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, like, how am I supposed to relate to that? But if you, look, if you look in another section of the Torah, you see that that was part of the inauguration, part of the initiation, part of, even better phrase, part of the sanctification of someone becoming a Kohen. So now, now understand what's going on here. The Mitzorah, the one who speaks badly, is now being reintegrated into society and he's being anointed in the way that the priestly class is being anointed in order to show him how holy he is or how holy she is. And now a person is going to have a much different opinion of who they are. And then when you realize, wow, I'm so holy, I don't want to do anything that's beneath me. I don't want to act in, a, in an animalistic way or in an inappropriate way. I'm, I'm a holy person. So a person is having their, their neshama, their soul, basically validated and revealed to them again and taken very seriously by the community, by the authorities of the community. And now with that level of recognition, now you go into life differently. See, you know, um, Rabbi Tursky um, talked about growing up and how his, his father, if he would do something wrong, his father would say to him, instead of yelling at him, how could you do that? Or it's so terrible or whatever it is. There's a phrase in Yiddish, I, I, I can't pronounce it, but, but basically he would say to him, that's beneath you. This is how he grew up being told. That's beneath you. You know, and this, this is a very beautiful way for us to 
uh, chastise ourselves. And certainly, if, 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 if the occasion calls for it from, from, for someone else, because you're simultaneously telling them how special they are and how holy they are, but at the same time also telling them that, you know, that's not for you. So, so I just want to wrap it up um, and just tell you something that kind of came to me about the, the month of Nisan. Um, remember, it's the, the month of redemption. So the energy this month is very, very, very special. Like, all the gates are open, you know? Like, uh, the, the arrangement that Siruf, as they say, of the Yudke Vavke, of the name of Hashem, remember, there's 12 different permutations, and each of the 12 months has a different combination of Hashem's, of Hashem's, of the letters of Hashem's name. So the letters for Nisan are Yud, then He, then Vav, then He. In other words, it's the straight spelling of the name. There's no, there's no permutation that's being applied. You know, other months it's He, He, Vav, Yud, or Yud, Vav, He, He, or it, there's no, in other words, it's just the straight light. It's the straight light. That's this month. Just clarity. And of course, Nisan has, the first two letters of Nisan are Nase, which means miracle. So they call it the month of miracles as well. Right? It's a month of redemption. And, uh, and I want to just add one, one idea uh, to this. So it came to me that uh, something interesting about just, just to uh, assign a value to each of the letters. So the spell Nisan, Nun, Samech, Yud, Nun. Okay? So uh, Nun is a very interesting letter um, because if you look at the Ashrei, Ashrei is you know, one of our most famous prayers. We're supposed to say it three times a day, right? Say that's a, a, a merit to, for Olam Haba, uh, for the next world. So, so Ashrei is written as an acrostic using all the letters of the Aleph base. Right? So it goes through the first letter all the way through the last letter. So famously, there's one letter missing, which is the letter Nun. Because Nun, the Gemara says, stands for Nofal, which means to fall. And David HaMelech, King David, who composed it, didn't want to mention that the falling of the Jews. Right? So interestingly, the very next letter after Nun is Samech. Right? Samech... Um, the first two words of Ashrei and Samech are Somech, no flim. So there's your Nun. Somech means to uplift, and then the fallen. So we sneak the Nun in there, but only within the context of being picked back up. Right? You get it? And remember, the letter Samech is a circle. And as Rip Shlomo said so beautifully, what's the soul language, the body language of a hug? is when you hug someone, you're making a samach around them, and that's your way of telling them, I'm not going to let you fall. Wow. Right? So, so, so there's, nun isn't in ashray, but we have the samach. Somech no fuim, God uplifts the fallen. Okay, now there's another prayer that also goes through the olive base, and we say it Shabbos morning, it's called Keladon. we say it right after Baruch and that also goes through all the letters of the Aleph base, but you know what letter is missing? The letter Samach. <laughs> right? Interesting. 
So Samech is missing there. And what did we just say? We just said that Samech um, stands for um, uplifting the fall, right? So, so, so Nisan, Nisan is the month of redemption. So now in Nisan, you're actually spelling it with the Nun. Like we're saying, okay, here's the Nun. And then the next letter, Samech. Okay, here's the Samech. Why? Because I want to say like this. If the Nun stands for all of our falling downs, right? By, by the month of our redemption, we're going to see that all of our fallings were only for the purpose of our rising back up. And so, you know, when, when the story is finished being told, and like I say, we're still in the middle of the story, but when the story is finished being told, we're going to see that every time we went down, it was only to go up. And you know, if you try to jump, one of the most beautiful things, right? Anytime you jump, first you go down, then you go up, right? So even in the physics of jumping, you see that this spiritual truth is, is, is real. So, so that's why we can put the Nun in Nisan, because we're going to see that it was all in order to go up. Then you have the Samech, right? Samech stands for God uplifting us, right? So now, now we don't see God so much. We say, God, come on, where are you? What's going on? Right? But when the world gets finished, oh, it's going to be so obvious. It's going to be so obvious that not only is God there, but that God was always there. That God was always there. 